We believe that for our own financial security, independence, and empowerment, every queer person needs to be an entrepreneur. And it's never been easier than it is today to start your own business with a side hustle. That's why today we're hosting Nick Loper of the Side Hustle Nation blog and podcast to talk about what side hustles are and how to come up with a side hustle that's perfect for you. This episode of Queer Money is being brought to you by the Start Becoming Debt-Free Challenge, coming to DebtFreeGuys.com soon. Here we go. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. John and I are very excited to welcome Nick Loper to the Queer Money podcast. And Nick is the man behind Side Hustle Nation, which is one of the most popular podcasts out there helping individuals become entrepreneurs. The reason why John and I are very excited to have Nick on is Nick has helped hundreds, if not thousands of people look at their lives and their earning potential a little differently. And as you've heard us talk many times on our podcast, that our desire is to see more in our community, more in the LGBTQ community, think about the potential that they have and the ways that they can use that potential to help our community be a stronger community. So whether that's showing yourself as a leader or the financial capability that you may have, if you excel or put yourself to task at at trying to become an entrepreneur. So we'd like to welcome Nick. And Nick, why don't you uh, go ahead and give us a little bit of information about yourself? Help our listeners understand who you are if they've not heard of you. Who is Nick Loper? (laughs) Who is Nick? Well, guys, thanks for having me. First of all, um, pleasure to be here. I call myself the chief side hustler at SideHustleNation.com. It's a resource, kind of a community for part-time entrepreneurship, part-time business ideas, ways to make money outside of a day job. Because that was my background in entrepreneurship was I did what you're supposed to do after school, got a job and quickly discovered and probably even before accepting that job, like, look, I have no desire to climb the corporate ladder here. I really want to be doing my own thing. And what that thing was on the side for me, the original side hustle for me was a comparison shopping site for footwear. So it would aggregate the catalogs from Zappos and Amazon, like all these different stores and tell you where you could find the best price on your next pair of shoes. So pretty random, but ended up being a good business. And that was the original side hustle. Did that for gosh, probably nine years, three years before you know I felt comfortable quitting my job. And while I was running that full time, had you know a dozen other projects that I started on the side from that. And most of those died a, a quiet death in the corner of the internet. But a couple of stuck around. And one of those that did see some traction was the Side Hustle Show podcast and SideHustleNation.com. So kind of brings me to the work that I'm doing today. How did you even come up with the idea of creating a comparison site for shoes? Where did, where did that even come from? Well, but this is back in the day. Comparison shopping is not what it used to be. I think everybody now just goes to Amazon and does their products. Right. <laughs> yeah, you used to, people One used to shopping. start back in the day, you know, we used to start a product search on Google and there were sites like Pricegrabber and Nextag and Shopping.com that would try and be everything to anyone and, you know, try and build these massive comparison databases. And so I'd interned at a company in Seattle where I was going to school that was like, they had a brick and mortar shoe store in Atlanta and they're like, holy, they had the wild and crazy idea, like way back, like 1996 is years before I even got there. Like, what if we throw some of our inventory up online? And of course the internet portion of their business grew way, way faster and so I was an intern there, and that was my first exposure to Google AdWords, to you know, pay-per-click marketing, to affiliate marketing, to SEO, to e-commerce, any of that stuff. 
it was really, really cool. And then when I left that internship, it was like, you know, so I was kind of in charge of managing their affiliate program. And so I would see what some of these affiliates were making. I was like, hey, this is interesting. These guys don't have to have <laughs> any inventory. All they have to do is refer a sale. And it was really eye-opening to say, well, you know, you don't always have the best price. Like, I don't want to be an affiliate just for you. I want to send people where they can get the best deal. And so that was where the kind of comparison algorithm idea came from. And it was like my theory was, you know, if I was competing against Nextag and Shopping.com, but my domain like had shoes in it, like that would appear to be more relevant, more clickable. And it, I don't know if that ended up being true or not, but it ended up working a little bit in the, <laughs> in the AdWords game or the pay, pay traffic game. So you, in a sense, niched within this whole idea of comparison shopping. Yes. And as we know, it was a success. And <laughs> what did you, what ended up happening with that company, Nick? It had a good run, but over, you know, ever since I quit my job, like it's kind of been a roller coaster. <laughs> so like the first day of, of like my self-employed dream, like I've got visions of the margaritas on the beach, like four hour work week lifestyle, right? Yeah, because totally. nothing bad had happened to that point. Of course, that's the day that the server crashes. That's the day that Google decides to like crawl the site for their like quality algorithm for their ad accounts. And they say, first of all, the site doesn't even load. We can't have that. Second of all, like when it came back online, they're like, wait a minute, this is just an affiliate site. You know, the sole purpose of your site is to drive traffic to other sites. Like, yeah, the sole purpose of Google is to drive traffic to other sites. Like, <laughs> right. to judge. We're partners. <laughs> yeah, they, they weren't really happy about that. So they actually shut down the whole thing. And so it was like 80% of traffic and revenue was like gone. You know, wow. it's just like, you know, going Yikes. through the seven stages of anger and denial and all this stuff. <laughs> And ultimately had to, you know, make a bunch of changes to the site, you know, kind of increasing the portion of internal links versus external links, all this stuff and invest a ton of money into new development. And, you know, they came back three months later and they're like, oh, it looks like we made an error. You're good to go again. And just like that, <laughs> the traffic faucet was back on and it was, it was nuts, but it was a super stressful summer. Yeah, the no lesson doubt. was just like, you know, diversification and, you know, trying to build multiple encryption, not being reliant on, you know, one source of traffic, one source of income. It was scary. So that was kind of the first hiccup in the road. There were hiccups where, you know, the state assembly tried to pass laws, you know, compelling out-of-state companies to collect sales tax mm -hmm. in California on online sales, even if they didn't have a physical presence here because they argued, well, if you have an affiliate here, that's, that's a physical presence, right? Yeah. And the companies almost universally responded by you know, cutting off their arms despite their face. Well, hey, you say affiliates are nexus in California. Well, now we don't have affiliates in California anymore. Happy? And <laughs> right. so, well, wait a minute. That's my livelihood. You know, right. so I had to you know, <laughs> rent an apartment in Nevada for a time. Like there's all sorts of these ups and downs. But in the end, the business did have a good run, but it was just kind of on this long, slow decline because it played, it played in the margin between the cost of traffic and what that traffic was worth and ended up getting squeezed really on both sides, you know, from 2005, 2006 when it started up until 2014 when I shut it down is just like, you know, the cost of the <laughs> cost of bidding on those keywords had increased. And meanwhile, the, the companies had, you know, continually cut commissions, even for top performers. So it was just, um, you know, you can kind of see the, the writing on the wall there. There were some months when my virtual assistant started making more than me. And I was <laughs> really, okay, this isn't working out. So happily, uh, happy to have some other side hustles that had kind of come in to, uh, to fill the void. 
Right. <laughs> you know, you bring up a, a good point here, this idea of having multiple streams of income. And John and I have talked about this on our podcast before and, and on our website, that having those multiple streams of income can be that safety net or that security for you. We oftentimes think of the individuals who work the nine to five and they get the pink slip and they don't have a something to fall back on. And we're starting to see more individuals who are using that their side hustle or multiple streams of income as the means to create their own safety net, even to the point of, like you did, being able to get rid of the nine to five as the reason for primary source of income and use their own entrepreneur uh, endeavors to make their money. I just talked to a photographer who phrased this really well. He had, you know, he and his wife had 30 weddings booked for the next year. And, you know, when he gave his notice at work and his coworkers were like, aren't you worried about the economy? Aren't you worried about, he's like, look, we got deposits. We got these dates booked, you know, the economy crashes. People are still going to get married. You know, I've got 30 clients. If one person fires me, if five people fire me, like it's not the end of the world. Like you have one client, it's your, it's your boss. And if yeah. they fire you, it's game over. <laughs> right. it's, like a, it's a way more stressful position to be in. Yeah. I always find it ironic that people are so attracted towards the old model of working because it seems to have this security. But in the minute the economy tanks or the minute something happens with the company or whatever, all of a sudden you could be out of a job without any explanation why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're all in, in, in yeah. many cases. Exactly. So it sounds like being an entrepreneur is quite volatile and can be somewhat stressful. Why would I want to have a side hustle? Aside from diversifying your income streams, what's the affinity towards going solo? Well, there's lots of reasons to do it. The The reason that most people are attracted to it is like the extra money. Like, you know, that extra cash flow is never going to go out of style. And <laughs> along with that is kind of a sense of security, a sense of self-worth beyond your paycheck, beyond what it says on your business card. I actually think that running the shoe business made me a better employee because I was at the, you know, the bottom rung of a Fortune 50 company. And so you know, I could go to work, I could not go to work. Like, it's not going to make any difference to the, the company's bottom line. But being a CEO in my off hours kind of helped me see the bigger picture at work. And I was interfacing with car dealerships in, in my day job. I'm working for Ford. And, you know, some of these had been in business for generations. Some of them had had their franchise assigned by Henry Ford. And so here's me coming in as like a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, <laughs> and, you know, trying to offer my suggestions. And like, what do you know about this business? And it's like, well, honestly, nothing. But here is my experience over here. And so like there was a little bit of translation. I was more able to kind of speak the language of these other business owners because I was doing it, doing it on my own time. And, and same thing, even in business school, like having done, you know, painting houses in college and stuff, like it made all the marketing classes, all the sales classes, so much more tangible because it was like, well, I got something to apply this to. So there's the, you know, there's the income side, there's the, you know, building extra skills side and like becoming, having a better sense of self-worth and, and confidence. Like my wife, she's an engineer by day. Her uh, side hustle is photography as well. And it's been really cool to kind of watch her sense of really empowerment and like, well, people are paying me outside of what I went to school for. And like, that's been really cool to, to watch. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. And it probably allows her to be a little bit more creative than maybe she can be as an engineer. So she can kind of tap both sides of, you know, of her brain. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Exercise both of that. That's, that's pretty cool. 
So how many side hustles have you had? What was the most side hustles you've ever had at one time? There's always eight <laughs> or 10 going on at any one time. But it's like most of them aren't eating up a ton of hours. A lot of them, it's, you know, do, do it for a while as an experiment or do it for a while. Like, hey, this is a finite thing. If I like it, I don't like it. You know, whatever, I can cut it off. Or it's like build an asset or this is the theory anyways, build an asset and then set it free into the world and hopefully it pays you like, over time, <laughs> like, like books and courses and that kind of thing. So maybe just give us a little bit of an idea for those of our listeners who are not familiar with what a side hustle is. What would you, how would you define a side hustle? The there's something definition. that you're doing, yeah, there's something you're doing outside of your day job to make extra money. Right. So e even as simple as, uh, I mean, I think we can go through the list if people are Uber or Lyft drivers, or maybe they have, they do some sort of part-time work for some other company. But most of the time, this whole idea is that you're, when you're doing your side hustle, it's, you're responsible for it, right? Yeah. It's a way to kind of take control over your own financial destiny. It's a way of looking at your day job as maybe just your largest client instead of your, you're in this monogamous relationship and they own your 24 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I love that analogy. It's not a monogamous relationship. <laughs> <laughs> My mind just wandered there. <laughs> so how do I come up with ideas, Do you, would you say, to figure out what kind of a side hustle I would do? What, what am I good at? Any ideas? I don't know. What are you good at? <laughs> <laughs> Where do you the, find like the inspiration for for your ideas? So this is one of the this is like the one of the things I love talking about, like how to come up with business ideas and and the reason is because you can go in any direction. And if you go to sidehustlenation.com slash ideas, like there's a constantly updated like laundry list of part-time business ideas. But the biggest myth or the biggest misconception I think that prevents a lot of people from getting started in the entrepreneurial world is that you've got to come up with like this crazy novel, you know, never been done before, curve jumping, technological advance, like <laughs> idea. And it's just, it's just not true. In fact, I think it's far riskier to go down that path. And maybe those are, maybe those are the companies that, you know, are raising millions of dollars in venture capital, but like, that's not this type of entrepreneurship. Noah Kagan said this to me. He was like, how many sushi restaurants are in your town? He's like, probably more than one and probably more than one have been in business for a few years. Like, so you have a good idea that they're profitable. So it's like, you don't have to reinvent, you know, the whole wheel to, you know, come up with like some crazy new idea. I think what can help is if you can come up with a unique angle on selling it, right? So my wife and her partner, like they weren't, you know, wedding photographers before they were like, but they weren't the first to, to come up with that idea. Like, just like Google wasn't the first search engine and Facebook wasn't the first, you know, social network. One example that comes to mind is I talked to a guy uh, called Russ Perry, who started a service called Design Pickle, and it's unlimited graphic design for $370 a month. And the pricing, of course, is subject to change. But he, you know, was, he had like a consulting, you know, marketing agency type of business. And he started this little thing on the side. He said, look, I sucked at design. It was never about me doing the work. It was about playing connector between these outsourced designers or these design contractors. And then I'm going to go find clients. And it was like, well, crap, anybody could do that. Like it was a really an eye-opening thing. And he's doing in, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars a month wow. in recurring revenue. It's, it's crazy. Like the business is only less than three years old. It's just, it's just nuts. So 
you know, he took a service that people were already paying for, like, hey, people have been buying graphic design for decades, and just kind of came up with a came up with a unique way to sell it, a unique way to market it. Like mm-hmm. I saw him dancing around in a pickle costume at a conference. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, funny. Whatever you enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, so on the freelancing front or all kind of, even you could extrapolate this beyond just freelancing too. One game to play is like the, the intersection game. And this could be, you know, the, in one column is like your, your skills and your experience in column two is kind of your, and you can just go down your resume and look at, okay, what do you know how to do? What have people paid, paid you for in the past? Column two could be like, well, what do you like to do? What are you interested in? What are your hobbies? And then column three could be like, who do you know? Like, who's your network? What kind of connections do you have? The example that comes to mind, so I did some freelance book editing, and I specifically said like nonfiction books, and I tried to even go further. Like, I want to read your like business book, because like at that point, I had authored a couple myself. I, you know, was a decent student in English. So like, I was like, chalk that up as a skill that I have. And on top of that, I had been involved in these like author groups on Facebook as a result of like these other books that I published. So I kind of had like this network of other aspiring authors. And so I said, kind of raise my hand, I'll be your editor. So it was kind of like at the intersection of, of those. Another framework you could think about in the idea generating world, I call the sniper model. And the the shoe business kind of fit under this realm. It's like, you know, instead of trying to build a comparison shopping engine, hey, there's a there's a business model that already existed, like trying to snipe just like a tiny fraction of their market, uh, you know, of their market share, a tiny sliver of their of their business, you know, and really laser in on that. Gotcha. When you gave the the, the freelance editing analogy, and you know, you, were, you said you were good in English, I can see a lot of people thinking to this themselves, you know, I was good in English in high school or college, but I could ser- certainly never edit somebody's book. And I wonder, do you find that as you evolved as an entrepreneur and tried these different businesses, do you find that your confidence level continues to grow and that gives you the courage to maybe try something that somebody else might think is too scary? Absolutely. Because you never, you gotta, you have to put yourself out there in a way that somebody's going to pay you. And that's like always, at least for me, like, you know, kind of an uncomfortable position. I actually kind of have dialed back or kind of stopped doing like one-on-one coaching because I found it really stressed me out. I don't know if you guys take clients one-on-one like that, but it was like this really weird, like I'm straight up like paying you to talk to me right now. And I feel like I could deliver like something crazy, <laughs> some crazy results like all the time. Right. And I was like, well, sometimes these things take a little while to build, like to see those results. That was, I don't know, it stressed me out more than it was worth. Or maybe, I, I don't know. It was, <laughs> so yeah. there's, there is, there is an element to that where it's like, getting out of your comfort zone, especially for client number one. And maybe you do work below market rate. Maybe you do work for free to kind of build up that confidence, to build up that portfolio and to build up, you know, some word of mouth referrals, hopefully some testimonials. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Richard Branson has a famous quote where he says, if somebody offers you an opportunity, first say yes, and then figure out how to do it. (laughs) And I think, Yeah. yeah, that's kind of what your theory is here. And I'll speak to mine and David's experience. We got into freelance writing. And when we first started writing, we weren't getting paid anything. Everything was pro bono on our part. We were trying to get um, our name recognized out there. But then now we're making several hundred dollars an article that we write. So that took two or three years for us to to get to that level. To your point, yeah, sometimes you have to give a discount or give a free offer to build that that portfolio. 
Yeah, that's awesome, guys. Yeah, yeah, you build you build that mental mental muscle, and like you said, you build that word of mouth, or people start to understand or see you as an expert in a particular area, and then then you start making some big bucks. <laughs> and I'm glad I look at, I look at some of our older articles, and I think, thank God, nobody paid us for that. <laughs> that's crap. <laughs> but anyway. So you said you have a list on your website, SideHustleNation.com, of uh, sort of a laundry list of freelancing side hustle ideas. What would you say are, are some of the more lucrative side hustle ideas today? Well, lucrative might mean different things to different people, but lucrative, you know, especially if you're working full time, I think you have kind of an opportunity to go after some more time leveraged opportunities, right? Where it's like you're creating this asset that, you know, doesn't necessarily require your direct time input. Whereas, you know, as far as speed to get started, I think, you know, the freelancing route, the consulting route, stuff like that, where you can, you have almost zero startup cost, maybe you buy a website for 10 bucks a month or whatever. But other than that, you're kind of off to the races. The more, you know, quote, lucrative stuff, like might take a little bit longer to ramp up. Maybe it's, you know, creating content, blog, podcast, Instagram, YouTube, whatever it is. And, you know, maybe it's building that authority. So when it does come time to sell something, you have an audience to sell it to or anything e-commerce is really hot right now. So there's like a ton of people doing really well on that. The downside is much bigger upfront investment costs because it's like, well, I got to go buy 5,000 units from China and then I got to ship them over here. Like, you know, a little bit of investment costs. And then if you find something that hits, you're not cash flowing that because you're plowing everything back into more inventory. That's one that's really popular right now. It's kind of utilizing the Amazon ecosystem, the Amazon logistics network to do uh, to sell physical products. But there's um, some people doing really well with that. Yeah. I know that the Amazon has gotten really big, but I think in, in the past, you know, people were doing some something similar with eBay where they would maybe go through thrift stores or go through uh, through garage sales and they would find stuff that they knew. They had a little bit of a, a knack for figuring out what was worth something and what wasn't. And they yep. would turn around and sell that stuff. So it sounds like that, is, that has migrated it into being more of the upfront seller or the person who brings that product to market. Yeah. And the thrifting stuff is totally still doable. It's something that I've done myself. Like even you can do even just do it while you're out running your regular errands. Just hey, swing by the clearance section of the store you know, fire up the old uh, Amazon seller app, which you can get for free. You can set up a free Amazon seller account. So you'd be able to use the app. You do barcode scanning and say, well, what's this selling for online? And the general rule is like, if you can double your money based on, you know, after all the fees and stuff. And if the sales rank, because it'll tell you like the sales rank will give you an idea of like how fast it's going to turn. Sales rank of one is like the best selling product in that category. Sales rank of a million is like, the millionth best sales. So it's like, yeah, that's, that's probably going to sit on the shelf for a while. But if it's like under a hundred thousand and you know, I can double my money. It's like, Oh yeah, I'll pick that up, send that into the warehouse, let them sell it on my behalf. It's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a fun little thing to do while you're out and about anyways. I, I've stopped making like dedicated trips for it, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fun one. Yeah. And I think the, the more you do stuff like this, the more you start, your brain starts to look for opportunities to how can you navigate, you know, the freelancing market or the entrepreneurship market? Like you said, when you're when you're out shopping and doing your regular errands, now you kind of also have this eye for, oh, I can probably resell that on Amazon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you guys have you guys played around with the merch by Amazon print on demand T shirt market yet? No. What's that? This is one of my favorite new side hustles for this year. 
it's it's like so passive. Um, you you upload a design. You like you design your own T-shirt. Think of a clever phrase. Think of a clever design. Whatever. Like if you have some Photoshop skills, that's a bonus. Oftentimes we just use like uh, an app called like Word Swag or download free fonts and make it in PowerPoint or something. Throw it up on Amazon. Like so, it's merch.amazon.com is like where you can request to make an account and there there's like a lot of people who want to get in so there's like probably a two to four month waiting period i've heard varying reports of how long it takes to like get your account accepted but you know now all of a sudden you've got a product that's you know showing up in amazon search results which is like a top five you know website in the in the country and you know somebody orders it you set your own margin you set your own price like it costs 12 or 13 bucks to make the shirt so you could price it at 20 and make seven bucks on the shirt and they print it, they ship it prime eligible, and you just collect the royalty. Like it's, I love it. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's one so of my favorite side hustles this year. When we were paying off our debt, David and I had a little side hustle business uh, making t-shirts, but we were doing that through Ca- Cafe, Cafe Press. Press. Okay. David got, got pretty good at doing, using the, um, the um, what was that, software? Ooh, that wasn't, designing that wasn't Photoshop back then. I can't remember what it was. No. What you got pretty called. good at it. And we, we actually had some sales. It was, it was a lot of fun. But it sounds like this is a little bit, the barrier to entry is a little bit easier, especially if you can do the, create the graphics or the, the verbiage on WordSwag. Jeez. Yeah, that's... Well, you guys are primed for it, especially if you got kind of your, I don't know if you still have the Cafe Press store, but if you still got the designs, the ideas, you know, all you can syndicate, all that stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Look out for queer money clothing line coming <laughs> yes, <up> soon. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, where do you where, what do you see as you know how prescient are you? What do you see as the side hustles of of tomorrow? Historically, I've been pretty bad about predicting the future, <laughs> so like I'm hesitant to make any you know broad sweeping guesses. I mean, one thing that you can say is like you know side hustles like driving for Uber, driving for Lyft, those are going to go away in right. five to ten years. You see. You see where they're going with, you know, continually dropping rates, test driving fleets of, you know, self-driving cars and stuff. And on top of that, what's cool about that is like very low barrier to entry. My Uber driver in Chicago explained it really well. Like, hey, when I want to make money, I turn on the app. And it's like, you know, dead simple, like plug and play. But because almost everybody can do it, like that has a natural downward pressure on, you know, your earning power. In terms of, you know, the side hustles of tomorrow, that's one thing to look at it. One way to look at it would be to kind of keep a pulse on the different trends you see with, you know, keto diet, podcasting could be a trend. What else is going on? Like essential oils, you know, you know, if there's different trends, like trends equal opportunity to like sell shovels into the gold rush, <laughs> but also to you know, probably easier to sell shovels into the gold rush than to join the gold rush in each of those like a CrossFit, you know, these different trends that kind of have some staying power over the the next few years like if you see something becoming more and more popular and i don't have teenagers so it's like hard to say what's you know what's really going on out there but (laughs) it's uh you know over and over again i see people you know i ask like hey how'd you come up with that idea like well i saw this trend or my my kid showed me this on their phone and i was like oh you know and and so i see those as being you know if you can kind of catch the early wave of that you'd probably be in pretty good shape interesting yeah, I think it's I think it's a lot about just keeping an open mind and being creative about, you know, maybe first starting with what do you have an interest in or what do you have an affinity towards? What are you already good at? That may not necessarily be what you're doing in your day job. It may be, you know, a side interest exactly. <laughs> that you can turn into a side hustle. And then I think once you start thinking creatively like that, you know, how can I get into this kind of a market? Then 
as you're an example, you, you come up with more and more ideas that are more or less difficult and more or less lucrative. Yeah, well, you guys know Tony Anderson from the FinCon community. And that's what, that's why the essential oils came to mind because I was like, you know, that kept coming up in her community as like, hey, this is like a trend that's going on. So she started the essential oil jewelry company and it was like infuser necklaces and then these like leather bracelets that you could dabble the oil on, I guess. And, you know, she was off to the races with this thing. So it's like, you know, just kind of combining a couple of her interests and then riding that trend. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's pretty brilliant. I think you, you mentioned this, that there are oftentimes uh, some of these that have very low barriers to entry. And if you're able to take advantage of that, then you know, that, that low cost it may, means that it's a lower risk. And if you are prescient, like you said, and get, a, get ahead of the curve on some of these things, you can make a fairly decent amount of money pretty quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. And you don't need to start from scratch. Go to sidehustlenation.com forward slash ideas. ideas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, look at that and get some uh, the creative juices flowing and come up with some ideas on your own. Right. And Nick, your podcast, Side Hustle Nation, you, on a regular basis, you highlight individuals who have made a go of it and are doing well with their various side hustles, right? Absolutely. We're like 250 so, something episodes deep into this show. Wow. If you... You're listening and you're thinking to yourself, I'd love to do something like this, but I don't have necessarily have the courage or I don't know exactly where to start. Nick has hundreds of examples of individuals. <laughs> They're just stories. All you have to do is plug into his podcast and listen to some of these stories. And who knows, you might hear what they're talking about. And as Nick said, all you have to do is just shift a little bit and make it a little bit of your own. You might be able to pick up on an idea that somebody else has already made as success. And turn it into you'll your be own success. You'll be a guest on Side Hustle Nation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would love it. I would love it. <laughs> so here's a question that we had. Um, we'll, we'll oftentimes get emails from people who need to come up with some money pretty quickly. More often than that, because of medical condition um, or a bill has come due that they can't postpone any longer. And so I was wondering, do you have any recommendations for side hustles, something where we could earn between you know, 250 maybe $500 in a few weeks to a couple of months? something that you could start up pretty quickly? Yeah. For, for something like that, you're probably going to look at either go down the freelance path. Like I'm going to sell a skill that I have because that doesn't cost me anything. I can find, you know, somebody in need of that skill offer, you know, maybe that's, you know, I'm going to build you a website. I'm going to do freelance writing. I'm going to do graphic design. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to go paint your house, like whatever it is, like some skill that you have. That's one way to do it. The other way to do it that might be you know, maybe a little more challenge, maybe has a little bit of startup cost would be to do the thrifting thing where you could turn this stuff around on Craigslist, turn the stuff around on eBay. I met a guy who calls himself the flea market flipper. He's down in Tampa and he's or, so in Orlando, I think. And he told me the story of like finding a prosthetic leg for 30 <laughs> or 40 bucks. Like he said, I like go out of my way to look for like the odd items because they're more likely to be like mispriced or, you know, people don't know what they're worth and sold it on eBay the next day for like a thousand bucks. And so you, you have a little bit of inventory risk because you're putting the cash up front. The alternative to that is to, you know, ask amongst your network, like, hey, I will be your eBay consignment guy. And, you know, I'll take the stuff that's in your garage. You don't want to deal with it. Like it's been sitting there for, you know, collecting dust for years. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to give you a percentage of whatever I make off it. And you're going to get it out of your house, right? 
So you could do that. I mean, you can even put up like flyers in your neighborhood. I bet I could do that. You know, I got 90 something units just in this neighborhood. I bet I could find a few takers for that and, and make some cash that way where it's like, okay, now I don't have any inventory risk. I don't have any upfront costs. I just, I'm going to pay them a commission once it sells. Yeah, that's pretty low risk. I like that idea. Yeah, definitely. That would be, I think, applicable to a lot of our listeners. So, Nick, let's say you have you have a skill freelance skill that you could freelance. Are there any tools out there that would make it easy for me to get myself known in the market? I'm thinking of one that I that we've talked about before of, is TaskRabbit. So that allows you to do certain tasks for people, whether it's cleaning their house or putting together IKEA furniture, you know, various things like that. Are there other tools or apps that somebody could use to kind of put themselves out in the market a little easier. Well, TaskRabbit is a great one for, yeah, these like kind of gig work economy. I think they just got bought by Ikea, yeah? Oh, you know, did? honestly, I don't know. I hadn't heard that, but oh. that, <laughs> really, like one funny. of the most popular gigs is I like, hey, come that. put together my Ikea furniture. I think <laughs> Ikea snapped them up the other day. You know, I, I like TaskRabbit. There are a ton that are out there. There are ones specific for like if you have a truck and you can move furniture. It's like it's probably as simple as like Buddy Truck. I think is one of them. But there, there's one with like a more clever name. There are tons of these, and of course I'm like blanking on what they are. There are different ones like for tutoring. Like I can help you learn a language. There are different ones. There's one like hey, I could be an expert witness at a trial. You know, there's just you know there's an app for everything. And it's it's pretty exciting. Actually, one one of my most recent side hustles was like going to San Francisco for a like a, a focus group, like with the one way mirrors on the wall, like one of those focus groups. <laughs> and it was like 150 bucks an hour for this thing. I was like, man, this is wow. easy, easy money. I'll talk about my travel experience with a bunch of strangers. It was kind of fun. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So you have to find uh, kind of search for these kinds of of tools or applications. I know that there's ones out there. I, I did a little digging a while back. There's ones out there for things like if you're a babysitter, if you're a pet sitter, if you... Uh, a house sitter. Yeah, house sitter. There's yeah. all these different tools out there that don't necessarily require you to have a lot of knowledge or a lot of time where you can literally drop in and do it for a couple of hours a week or a month and you're kind of at just padding your uh, your income a little bit. There's a new one, Tackle, T-A-K-L, I think, that's going around. Yeah. Like you said, care.com, of course, for, for babysitting. I'm trying to think of the other ones. I've got a whole post on these somewhere. <laughs> I'm trying to dig it up. <laughs> yeah, if you don't mind digging it up, we'll uh, add Who's it to the, the show, show notes. notes. Totally. What are your thoughts? I'm becoming more and more convinced that more and more people need to just have a blog. And I've seen some articles where people are saying that they can see the blog replacing the resume in, in the not too distant future. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I love blogging. I've been doing it for, for years. <laughs> Hopefully somebody's out there reading it. No, I, I, I like it. It started just as a creative outlet for me. And you know, this is years before anybody was reading it. It's just like, hey, you know, I like to write. I think this is an important skill. The added benefit on the side of that was I was learning WordPress, I was learning how to set up web hosting. And, you know, those skills, in addition to the skill of learning how to write for the internet, have really, really helped me, even though nobody was reading at the beginning. So I think it's interesting. And I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs do this where they start a side hustle, they start their own business, and then they become successful at that in some way, shape, or form. And then they go off and they teach people how to become successful in creating their own business or starting their own blog. You know, Dave and I are taking, along with you, I think, a, uh, taking a, a Facebook ads course from yeah. somebody who 
was in the personal finance blogging space just like we are, but she became a master at Facebook ads. So now we're all taking a course that she's offering. So I think it's, you know, just because you start off in one area doesn't mean you can't branch off into other areas. Um, and then of course, all of a sudden you've got several side hustles and you can tell your W2 employer that you're out the door. <laughs> well, it, and we see that happen oftentimes it, when somebody starts their career, they start off at a very entry level kind of generalist position. And as they gain knowledge, they seem to specialize and get into a, a little bit uh, more refined set of skills. And that allows them to increase their income. And I think this, the same goes here is that if you become really good at at a, yeah, your side hustle, people will start to notice and then they'll start to ask you questions. And those questions then become that teachable moment where you potentially could even make more money off of that. You know, there's the people that do and then there's the people that do and teach and it opens up an entirely new revenue stream for you. And, and yeah, so we, you know, we were on the call with Monica on the Facebook ads lesson this morning. And, you know, what she's done is really impressive because she's embedded herself in this community, in the FinCon community, and she's established herself as the expert in this one niche subject area, same as Grayson Bell has done for, you know, tech support and, you know, WordPress development, same as Steve Stewart has done for podcast editing. And it's like, anytime there's a question on any of those topics, they're the ones chiming in. People can't race to tag them fast enough because they know <laughs> like they've right. established their expertise and their authority in that space. It makes it so easy for them to pick up clients from, you know, from those communities. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When you've got word of mouth, you can't beat that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the same thing can be said if, if you're going to uh, do care.com and you're going to become a babysitter. Well, if you impress an, a client, then they'll return. And then when they, their friends and colleagues need a babysitter, you might be the go-to source. So it's just all about finding something that you're passionate about or that you like and being as good at it as you can possibly be. Yeah. Exactly. How else could you help our listener, our Quermanian listeners? Um, where can they find out more information about you and what resources do you have that might help them start their entrepreneur endeavor? Well, we, uh, we talked about sidehustlenation.com slash ideas for just kind of a starter, starter list. And hopefully, you know, you find something in there that'll strike your fancy or, you know, pique your interest. I uh, would love to have you tune into the Side Hustle Show for different part-time business ideas in your earbuds every week. And uh, that's really, those are really the two home bases for me, sidehustlenation.com. You can find all that stuff over there. One other question for you, Nick, when it comes to the resources, do you have any sort of tools or guides on the website that may help someone with the ideas around, well, what do I do when it comes to taxes or how do I prepare when I need this particular technology? Are there more, is there more information like that, that somebody could find on your website? There are a couple episodes we've done on tax tips for side hustlers, and we did a legal episode as well. <laughs> now I'm like self second guessing the search functionality. <laughs> like if you um, you can find them on the podcast page, you could probably do like a Control F keyword search for tax or legal, and and those will probably show up. Or you can use the blog search to find those as well to kind of get a glimpse into the tools that are helping me run the business. SideHustleNation.com/resources should have a list of, you know, all the different apps and software and stuff that, that goes into that. Perfect. Perfect. And then Thank you. If you're not on social media, you don't exist. So what social media platforms are you on? <laughs> I, I'm bad on social media. Probably Facebook <laughs> is like the one I spend the most time on. The Side Hustle Nation Facebook group is pretty active. I think we just passed 7,000 members. Wow, nice. So uh, SideHustleNation.com slash FB will uh, redirect over there. Right. 
And so here's a side hustle that somebody might not have ever thought of existed. And I didn't know this until we got into the space. But businesses who have private Facebook groups, sometimes they get so large that the original starter of that Facebook group or the initial entrepreneur can't also manage that. So you can be a community manager of a Facebook group. And if you love Facebook, then you can be somebody else's community manager, which is an awesome job, I think, too. Well, cool. And a lot of our, most of our listeners are on Facebook. So thank you very much for that. So cool. Well, thank you very much, Nick. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, We know you have a wife and a baby and so you're very busy and we appreciate your time. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate all your advice. You bet. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you, Nick, for coming on Queer Money and sharing with our audience the value of side hustles and how to start a side hustle. If you, our listeners, like this or any other Queer Money episode, please remember to like, comment on, and share Queer Money on iTunes so that we can reach more LGBT people and help everyone live fabulously, not fabulously broke. Finally, this episode of Queer Money was brought to you by the Start Becoming Debt-Free Challenge coming to DebtFreeGuys.com soon. Okay. We just serviced you, now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) The other end I like the butts, so. (laughs) Uh,